Thanks uh, so much, Richard. Let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Father, it's uh, always good to be together. Thank you so much for this time and this space. Thank you too for that Bible reading, that majestic reading. And as we reflect on it tonight, would we just pray that it would speak to us in a deep way, would help us as we follow you. So send your Holy Spirit now, Lord. Help us to understand more deeply your love for us and understand more deeply what it means that you are risen and that you are alive. And for that we say thank you. Amen. Now, I was uh, watching uh, telly on uh, Friday night. It's quite a rare thing. I don't, don't watch much live telly now. It seems to be all, you know, you get your iPlayer or stuff like that. So I was shocked to be sitting in the telly, uh, <coughs> sitting on the telly, sitting watching telly on a settee and being comfortable and watching Gogglebox. I don't know if you've ever watched Gogglebox. Uh, it's very funny, really, just watching people watch telly, and uh, and it's very good. And they had a section on it with Bear Grylls, this great Christian monster who we'll celebrate because he does Mr. Alpha and all this type of stuff. And I was very interested to see how he would behave. And on the section they showed on Gogglebox, I saw his bare bottom, and uh, I, I was intrigued uh, by all of that. And um, the whole point was, he's doing this survival show, and he was preparing people uh, for living in dangerous places. And what would happen in really extreme places when there was no water, and all they could do is find contaminated water, and obviously you couldn't drink it, and things like that. So he was showing them a technique where actually you drink water through your bottom. And um, I found that completely amazing that you can actually do such a thing. Um, I don't know why I started my sermon off like this. I, I, I think it's about, I'm trying to think about stuff about being prepared. It's about being prepared. And it reminded me of um, a list of instructions which I'd read recently as well about what to do if you're attacked by uh, an anaconda. And uh, apparently there's ten rules, and, and obviously in Scotland this is very important. But, but I know a lot of you are very posh and are off to the rainforest for your, for your break uh, at some point. So this, this might be important. So if you're attacked by an anaconda, this is your first thing you shouldn't do. Do not run, okay? See an, an, I wouldn't know what one looked like, but if you see one, apparently it's like a boa constrictor, or maybe it is a boa constrictor, you can tell me afterwards. Um, but if you're attacked by one, don't run. The snake apparently is faster than you. It's got no legs, I don't know, have no idea how that is, but it's faster than you. And what you're meant to do is then lie flat on the ground and pour, that's number two, lie flat on the ground. Number three is put your arms tight at your side and your legs tight against one another. And number four, apparently, is the snake will begin to climb over <laughs> your body. The fifth piece of advice then is don't panic. <laughs> and the sixth piece of advice is the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet end. Okay, that's a relief, anyway. Uh, Number seven is, step six will take a long time, apparently. Number eight is, after a while, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth. Then, suddenly, sever the snake's head. Advice number uh, nine is, be sure that your knife is sharp. <laughs> and the final bit of advice is, be sure you have your knife. <laughs> so there we go, two bits of advice. You can drink water through your bottom, and you now know how to be prepared 
for an anaconda. And tonight is, is about being prepared, not for drinking water or anacondas, but it's being prepared for Jesus. I don't know quite how I managed to get to that. Be prepared, but it's about being prepared for Jesus in, in a certain way. It's about being prepared for an, an encounter with him. And I want to say from the outset this evening is that this is what Christianity is all about, an encounter with Jesus. And in 2016, I want us to think about, as we're sat here in this lovely bit of Edinburgh, is how do we encounter the risen Jesus, just as they did way back then? How can we be ready when we come across Jesus and get confronted by him, like that boa constrictor, or just hear about him or meet with him? Because sometimes, maybe often, Jesus catches us unawares. Now, I could have spoken about this in a couple of very different ways about being prepared for meeting with Jesus. And I, I made, made sort of some big thinking about how, how, do I, how do I approach this? But these other ways I thought about are just not uh, strong enough or biblical enough, maybe, or not quite uh, what it's all about. They're close ways to be prepared for Jesus, but there is something more dynamic. So I could have spoken about tonight, be prepared for believing in Jesus. That feels like a very Easter-like thing to do. A key Christian thought is believing that Jesus rose from the dead. So I could have spent some time speaking about that. And a key thing to believe is Jesus is alive and he's not dead. But believing in our times, in the 21st century West, is not quite the right expression. It's, it's, it's not quite right because belief in the West has all come, become about a set of propositions. It's about a rational thing. It's stuck in your head. It becomes thinking about something in a very uh, clear way, a convicted way. And, and that's not enough. It's good, but it's not quite enough. Uh, you must have heard uh, the expression about the importance of moving your faith 18 inches down from your head to your heart. So there's something more to, to believe. So the next thing I could have believed in Let's go 18 inches lower, because if your faith does sneak 18 inches lower, lower, it could be about experiencing Jesus. So I could have preached about be prepared for experiencing Jesus tonight. Now this fits in well, I think, uh, with our times. Experiencing is the phenomenon of the age. We're desperate to experience different things that our world has to offer. My brother recently has travelled to Australia and he said he's gone to Australia to experience just one thing. And that one thing is to stroke a dingo. So he's flown 10,000 miles or 12,000 miles, however far it is, just so he can stroke a dingo. We go mad for these unique and personalised experiences. In churches too, uh, we're after the same thing. And I must admit, as a, I, I long for us uh, to experience the power and the wonder of the Holy Spirit. I'd love us all here tonight to experience that. I'd love us to go home and say, I experienced the Holy Spirit tonight. We'll often talk about how we can experience Jesus. We'll talk about how can Jesus can be part of our feelings as well as our thinking. Um, but sometimes that means we stop thinking about God and we just start feeling God and just go after experiences. And that doesn't seem quite right. And I don't want to just prepare us for that. So what I want to do tonight 
is think about how we can move, for some of us, our faith 18 inches down, and for others of us, 18 inches up. And to do that, I think what we need to think about is how we can be prepared for an encounter with uh, Jesus. An Easter-based faith, a resurrection-based faith, is not just about belief, and it's not just about experience. It's a combination of both these ideas. It's called an encounter. And how do we prepare ourselves to have an encounter with Jesus? You might want to call it, well, why not call it meeting with Jesus? How do we prepare to meet with Jesus? But I think the word encounter is a more powerful word than just meeting Jesus. I've met the whole of the Birmingham City football team. It was brilliant, but it hasn't changed my life, sadly. So I think if I'd encountered them, my life might have been changed a little uh, bit more, and perhaps I'm glad about that as well. So I want to talk about something life-changing and significant, and that is an encounter. And how I want to look at this encounter thing tonight, it comes straight from our fantastic account in Luke uh, 24. I don't know how much you've read Luke's Gospel. I think it's, it's a genius the Gospel. And, and within it, there's three first-class stories, perhaps the best stories in the Bible. There's that story of the prodigal son, which tells us there's always a way back uh, to God. No matter how much you've mucked your life up, there is always uh, a way back. And be careful not to whis miss that way back to God. And then there's the story Luke tells of the Good Samaritan, which encourages us to live Jesus' way, which is a one of love and care, especially when the person is difficult to love or you even hate them. Our calling is to love and care for all people, and especially when the situation is a hard and impossible one. So I love those two stories. And then there's this story tonight about two people encountering the risen Jesus. However, this isn't a parable like the other two stories. This isn't a story Jesus um, sort of chose to speak about. This is a biographical account. It's a story where actually Jesus is the star, although he, he only, uh, it sort of, it only becomes realised at the end that. And it's the risen Jesus uh, in this passage which is the most fantastic thing because in the passage the suspense there's mystery and there's deep joy. But the key thing which comes out of the passage is this thing called an encounter. And I think this passage becomes particularly important to us all as Easter people sitting a week on from Easter uh, because it helps us to prepare to have an encounter with the risen Jesus, the alive Jesus, the Jesus who's conquered death the one who's defeated evil, the one who forgives sins, the one who's shown complete love and continues to be that love, the one who has proven himself in rising from the tomb to be the second chance God. And I'm going to note, note seven things very quickly. It's not going to take ages. I'm going to note seven things about this passage which I hope will help us as we reflect on our life and think about this passage to encounter Jesus more deeply, to be able to come and worship him more, to love him more, to give more of ourselves to him, because we understand more deeply what it is to encounter Jesus. I'm just going to work gently uh, through the passage, so if you want to have it open, it's Luke 24, starting at uh, verse 13, and I'll just look at the first 
couple of verses. And the first thing I want to say about this passage, that an encounter with Jesus is about being open. So two people are walking along, and uh, we don't know them well in this passage. We know one of them's called Cleopas, but we don't really know much about him. And the other person in the passage isn't even named, they're unknown. I love Tom Wright's idea that he thinks it's probably Cleopas's wife. But we're not certain who the other person is, but it's nice to think it's Cleopas and his wife. And they're walking home. They're doing a seven-mile journey, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. A couple of hours uh, using uh, standard walking speed. By the way, um, I've spoken before about my walking speed here in Edinburgh. When I first moved to Edinburgh, I realised how slow I walked and how granites even would overtake me. They'd be on their Zimmer frames and they'd walk past me and people walk so fast. Uh, here in Edinburgh. Can I just say, I do walk a bit quicker, but I'm still overtaken by grannies. It's, uh, it is incredibly fast, but these people were very fast walkers. They, they would have taken a couple of hours to get to uh, an Emmaus. And, and because it's a walk and they've got time, they chat as they walk and they were full of energy as spectacular events were all about them. It, it is, it's a weekend of intrigue they're reflected on. So they, they've been part of the sort of Good Friday experience where Jesus was murdered and now they'd heard these rumours that actually he was no longer dead but he was alive and women uh, from who were believers too had been said they, they'd seen him. So quite naturally they were chatting away, what does this mean? This, this is completely mad, just like a West Indian batsman scoring four sixes in the last over to beat England in the World Cup and I'm not bitter. But, um, and as, as they walked, uh, they were walking along, Jesus joined them. But the thing is, they didn't recognise Jesus. So they're walking along, this third person joins them, and they don't know who he is. And we don't know why they didn't recognise him, but they didn't. In fact, nobody really recognised Jesus when they first encountered him after he was risen after the resurrection. There was something clearly about Jesus in his resurrection body. His resurrection body made him look somehow different. He was certainly still Jesus, and, um, and he, we read in another account, he still had all the marks of death on him, but now he was in his creation body. He was pointing to the new reality which comes after death. But the issue here is even though uh, we know it's Jesus, as they're walking along, they had no idea, they didn't. But they had a key thing about them, they were open. They were open to somebody joining them along the walk, they were open to the conversation and they wanted to chat and talk and work things out and they welcomed somebody to join them into the conversation, to help work them out. And that's the thing about having an encounter with Jesus, it's about being open. Because being closed or uninterested or bored by the things of the Spirit means we'll miss something. These two people were open. They were so open they could include a stranger as they walked and talked. They weren't stuck in a closed bubble. I went off to theological college a long time ago now, and I was told by, I went by some very anxious evangelical vicars, make sure you stay evangelical all through college. And, you know, they had a sort of checklist which so I could knew, know that I was still legit uh, by the end of college. I was, one thing is, that's the most duff advice ever given to me before I went off uh, to this wonderful experience of, of theological college, because it meant in my first year, 
I missed out on tons as I was trying to remain authentic, you know, and the proper card-carrying evangelical I was meant to be. And in the second year, it got so pressurised that I decided I'm just going to leave it. I'm, I'm going to just be open to what's going on here at college. And I'm so glad I did because it was then I encountered a, a, a spectacular Jesus who continued to change my life and renew me through college. And you know, the surprising thing when I left college is I was still a legit evangelical, but Jesus has been able to come into my life and change a few things around, entering to perhaps some difficult and dark areas and do some changing and get me ready uh, for ministry. The start of any encounter with Jesus is an openness to ideas, to a discussion, to people, to a debate. It's at this point that Christ can join us on our journeys. At this point, we might not recognise him, but if we are open, we'll find that he does join us. Second thing in verse 17 to 19, an encounter with Jesus involves conversation. Jesus asks them, what are they talking about? An encounter will always involve a conversation. We often express faith as a relationship with God. I'll tell you, I've got a relationship with God. And any relationship worth its salt will have a conversation at its heart. As we encounter Jesus, we talk. It might be a debate with Christians or others to work out where we're at. It could be just a quiet conversation in our hearts uh, as you weigh the things of Jesus up. But there'll always be a dialogue going on. One of the stop, things which stopped me becoming a Christian initially all those years ago was a very overzealous but well-meaning youth leader who told me, you never ask questions of God, you just blindly accept. That's basically what he said. He said, he said it was disrespectful to ask a question of God. But here in verse 17, Jesus gives us permission to ask questions, to dialogue, to work out, to weigh up. Because unless we do, we will never discover Questions and faith will always go hand in hand. Some of our questions will be answered easily. Others might take years to get the answer. But it's when we ask the questions and when we start the dialogue, the spiritual quest begins. Jesus is not scared of our questions. He is waiting for the dialogue. Always question, always ask. It's the heart of faith. An encounter with God becomes more powerful as our questions are engaged with and we discover God's heart and passion towards us. Those two people on the Emmaus Road were given permission by Jesus uh, to question away, to talk and talk and talk. It enhanced the encounter. Third thing in verses 20 to 24 is, an encounter involves experience. I know I've just poo-pooed experience, but I'm gonna bring it back uh, now. Because an encounter always involves trying to understand our experiences, our life, the way it is. These two people had an experience. Jesus was dead and now people are saying he's alive. They'd witnessed events in Jerusalem which aren't normal, so they were weighing it up. And their story was of this good man, a prophet, who had died and now people were saying he's alive. They just couldn't understand this. How could their friends be saying such things? They had an experience they couldn't match up to life. Their faith didn't know how to include Jesus, who had been dead and is now alive. They had been touched by the story of God, but they didn't know what to make of it. Often, when people are on a journey, they have an experience they can't explain. It could be the death of somebody close, 
a difficult phase in their lives they just don't understand. Friends' lives uh, who, who have changed uh, and they are now calling themselves Christians, whereas before they weren't. Just some stuff which doesn't make sense. These are all things which get us to start thinking about the God questions. Is there more to life than this? How can I make sense of what's going on in my life? And our experience starts us to lead and to look into new places. That's a certain, certainly the case with me um, and my initial encounter with Jesus. Because I've got a good friend who's coming to stay uh, with, with, with us this week, actually, Simon. And he confused me completely. And the reason he confused me completely was he started to take Jesus very seriously in his life. I found that profoundly unusual. Why would anyone start to take Jesus seriously in their life? And I'm a, I was a church girl at the time. I went to church. And I found it baffling that people would take their faith outside church. And he, he, he confused me. He started going to Bible studies and really enjoying it. I thought, this is bonkers. But the thing is, he got me questioning. He got me thinking, well, what is it? What, why is he chasing after this? And actually, it's part of the, that's part of the reason why I'm standing here now, because it started me questioning. And an encounter with Jesus will always involve that kind of stuff. Fourthly, an encounter with Jesus involves listening in verses 25 to 27. So the people share their story of Jesus and he listens and then he responds and they listen. He gives them an answer to their questions and helps them to understand their experience. And he uses the Bible to help answer their questions and help them understand their experience. He gives them that wonderful overview which helps them in their heads to intellectually understand or to believe Again, you know, belief is a vital component of an encounter. Once our heads are engaged and we can understand the story of God, our encounter will become then even more joyful and significant. It's as if the foundation for faith is given. We have a base on which to stand, which means we've got something solid to go for it when it comes to faith, when we come to the encounter. And that's a rather great feeling when we've got, we understand what we believe more solidly. It releases us. I like to think what they were doing in this uh, passage here is spiritual listening. It's asking the questions and then having the space to listen to the answer. Invariably, the answer will come through the Bible because as we engage with Scripture, be it through listening to sermons or reading the Bible privately or looking up information on the internet or reading a Christian book or singing songs which are based around verses from the Bible, we discover an answer, a way to understand the questions we have, a way to understand our experience. Many people miss on, out on this a bit of their spiritual quest. They forget to listen. But Jesus was well into the Bible. He knew the story of Scripture and he used it to help others understand who he was. And he still uh, does today. It's part of the reason why I love being here at Peace and G's. I love it that we want to experience God in our worship and I'm so grateful for our worship team week by week just do outstanding things and they really help me and they help me to encounter God from the depth of my being. But also we take the Bible seriously. I love the way we try and bring these two things together. Uh, I love that uh, we want our beliefs to be more informed and more realistic as a church. We're not an either-or church, but we're a both-and church, and this helps me encounter God very deeply. Now, I'm not saying here that we're the perfect church, because that certainly isn't true, because I'm here. Uh, there's always more we can do. Uh, 
But the one thing I think God is really leading us to do is to hold these things of worship and the Bible closely together because out of it will come our vision and our passion and we'll be able to express uh, Jesus and have a much deeper encounter with Jesus uh, than if we just concentrate on, uh, on just one thing or the other. Fifthly, an encounter uh, with Jesus involves conversion, if you look at verses 28 to 32. So the people and Jesus had a good debate as they walked along. It was beautiful and enlightening. Later, the two people expressed that their hearts were burning uh, within them. It was clear that the as yet unrecognised Jesus and these people enjoyed each other's company. It was so good that by the time they got home, they wanted to continue this conversation and so they invited Jesus in. And then we get to the icing on the cake, the crunch of this passage, the reason the story made it to Luke's gospel. As they came in and as they ate together, something very deep and profound happened. In the moment Jesus broke the bread, his identity was revealed. It was at the dinner table, in fellowship, breaking the bread, that the resurrected Jesus became real to them. They knew him, they understood in that moment. No longer was Jesus' resurrection just a theory to be discussed. It was a reality that they'd encountered. It was as if in Jesus, uh, Jesus' sermon to them, as they walked along the road, they began to believe. But then as they worshipped in that sort of Eucharistic-like breaking of the bread and shared communion with him, they encountered him more deeply and realised profoundly and deeply that Jesus isn't a theory uh, or isn't a, just a good person or a great teacher or a noble prophet, but he's alive and he's God and he's to be worshipped. And here in that moment, when he said the grace, they knew, they understood, Jesus was and is the resurrection and the life and their hearts were glad. For all of us, there comes a point where we have to make a decision. Am I going to go Jesus' way or not? The Emmaus people chose the first Easter Sunday to go Jesus' way. They were convinced. Not just convinced, they were also filled with joy and their hearts burned within them. The encounter with Jesus transformed them and empowered them and gave them resurrected life. I love this moment of the journey, the joy moment, the yes moment. I love it when I sit and pray with people and they come to reach the point uh, where they want to say yes to Jesus. I remember on one Alpha course a few years ago I did, I was, uh, was part, uh, a part of this amazing Alpha course really, and somebody encountered Jesus and it was just like uh, the people on the Emmaus Road encountering uh, Jesus. They could tangibly sort of feel uh, that Jesus was real in that moment. Something happened for them and they literally glowed. It's like their hearts were glowing within them. They were convinced and they said yes. And the thing I remember most of all is they were filled with joy, complete joy, and it's wonderful just to be with them in that moment. Never be surprised that in your search for an encounter with God, you reach that conversion point. And never be surprised that the infilling which happens at that conversion is an infilling of joy. It's Easter joy and it's simply wonderful, it's energising and it's a sign of the new life which is in Jesus.
Sixth thing to say is an encounter with Jesus inevitably leads to sharing, just verses 33 to 35. So these people had discovered for themselves that Jesus is alive. And what do they do? They go and share the news with the disciples and they run back to Jerusalem and shout, Jesus is alive. That's 14 miles. That's more than half a marathon they've done in a few hours. Very good. And this was never something to be kept to themselves. They could never keep it to themselves. Their joy gave them energy to speak and declare and encourage others that Jesus is alive. And often when we're filled with the joy that Jesus is alive and loves us and has forgiven us, we have to talk about it and share it. When I first became Christian, you couldn't shut me up. Jesus radically changed my life and I just had to say so. It was part of what was going on in me and being an extrovert, I had to bubble it out. And as I've grown up in the Lord, I still want to speak. I hope now in a more considered and sympathetic way, because I did used to ram the Bible down people's throats. So I hope it's more considered and sympathetic. People often talk of a private faith. I can see no instance of a private faith from a scriptural point of view. Faith is to be shared. If you know Jesus, if we know Jesus, we speak about it. If you know the joy I'm speaking of, it will naturally come out of it, uh, come out of us. One thing I need to say is perhaps we need to be a bit more open to joy. I don't know if it's the cold or the dark in Scotland, but sometimes joy does go missing. But I'm not just talking to people of Scotland, I'm talking to everyone. I often wonder if we repress joy a bit too much. Maybe an outpouring of joy from the Lord is just what we need to express our faith to our world today. See, I'm worried about evangelism. Evangelism is simply telling others about the great news of Jesus' life and that we can all encounter God and know his love, forgiveness, and second chance. I'm worried for our church at the moment that because we haven't been doing Alpha here at P's and G's, I think, for over a year. And not many people seem to be that bothered about it, if I'm honest with you. I know that's not the only form of evangelism, but not, nobody seems to be depressed that we're not doing Alpha. One of the things I'm really looking forward to is our sermon series coming up next term. It's in the morning, so you'll, if you come to this service, you'll have to listen to it online. But if you're a member of the Connect groups, you'll be doing it. We're going to be looking at an evangelism. But I want to pray. I want us really to sort of think about our following of God. And I want to think about that joy which naturally comes from meeting with Jesus. I want us to think about that joy which those two followers had with Jesus and um, I want us uh, I suppose to be inspired like them to have the energy to run the seven miles to tell people that Jesus is alive if Jesus has transformed us we never keep it to ourselves. his gift of transformation is to be passed on and those disciples passed on their news to the first uh, disciples that Jesus is alive and encouraged them and set in motion in motion that most wonderful idea that we can encounter Jesus in a most steep and joyful and profound way. And I hope at P's and G's we've still got that. I hope we're going to be excited about trying to do that. I hope we know that joy. It does worry me. We need to start praying about it. That's why this uh, Kingdom Come event on April the 20th is so significant. Seventh thing, final thing, an encounter with Jesus. Well, actually, if we've had an encounter with Jesus, it's only just begun. That's the final thing. The story has ended for these Emmaus people, but it's also only just the beginning because an encounter with Jesus is not just about beginning well, it's about finishing well also. 
And once Jesus becomes real in our lives, well then, we keep going and growing and moving forward. I get sad by people who go through all the, the effort of the first six stages of encountering Jesus and forget about the last. But tonight, on a week after Easter, when we're still celebrating and we'll always celebrate Jesus is alive, can I encourage those of us who've been Christian yonks to keep going and not lose the joy, but engage with it again? Can I encourage you to invest in your faith? Let's not just rest on our laurels and our knowledge and our experience of all those years ago. But tonight, as we embrace our risen Lord and come back to him again and commit to him again, can I encourage you just to keep on going and keep on encountering and keep the conversation going and keep on being excited. But if you've never encountered Jesus and you would like to tonight, Jesus is here tonight. He is completely here. We're going to share communion in a moment where, where we can meet with him. It's like we're sitting at the table on the Emmaus Road. That's where we are tonight. We're sitting at that table and Jesus is here and he is breaking the bread. He is recognisable tonight. His resurrection power is with us tonight. And he is welcoming us and he's longing for us to encounter him, to receive that joy and be empowered by him. It's a life-giving, joy-giving and life-changing faith he is offering. And the invitation is open for us all tonight. It's only a little sneaky prayer away. We just, we just need to pray about it. We often say, go and pray with the prayer team. I must admit, all the significant moments in my life I've done on my own. It's particularly fine to do it on your own. It's fine, just do it. And then, but the problem is, if you do it, you've got to tell somebody. There's no point in, in doing it and go, oh, that was nice. You, you do it and you tell somebody. So that's why we offer prayer, because then you can tell somebody almost instantly and it, it's done. How are we going to respond? What is there to respond to tonight? Let's just be quiet. Jesus is here. He's moving. He might want to speak to you. He might want to minister to you. Just let him gently uh, do that as we continue to worship. Let's be quiet for a bit.